Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. This week on our panel, we have Steve Edwards. Hello, hello from Portland. Lindsay Wardell. Hello, also from Portland. I'm Charles Max Wood from devchat.tv. And I'm just going to call out that we have another panelist, uh, Devlin, who's probably trying to get back into the call. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So anyway, uh, new panel. I thought we'd just uh, take a few minutes and let everybody introduce themselves and let folks know who you are. So Lindsay, why don't you go first? Well, my name is Lindsay Wardell. I'm in Portland, Oregon currently working as a full-stack view developer and been doing it for a few years. Lots of fun building out different kinds of projects. Anything else specific? I'm kind of curious. You said full-stack view developer. So are you doing JavaScript on the back end as well or something else? So, So yes, the current project that I was working on is a full-stack. It's a Nuxt application. Okay. And then there is a Node API that works alongside it as well. My previous employer, we also had a Node application with a view front end. So I try as much as possible to stay full stack JavaScript. I just prefer having the single language to work with. Makes sense. How about you, Steve? Yeah, so I've been in IT since about 1995. So that's about 20 something years. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I started out doing tech support and managed to fall into web development through necessity back in the days of Microsoft front page and Learned programming pretty much on my own, not part of any job over the years since I was doing analyst work and project management and so on. And then about 10 years ago, I got hired to do my first full-time web job doing Drupal and was doing Drupal for quite a while up through um, less than a year ago, to be honest. Uh, Started learning Vue on my own uh, about two or three years ago, really tried to get it in at uh, my old company and that didn't pan out. So I fortunately, about seven months ago, I started this job as a full-time view dev. So currently I'm using it here for internal administrative type of tools to connect to a Java-based backend over a REST API. But uh, doing a lot on the side with experimenting with Nuxt. Lindsay, I think you and I need to talk after this. <laughs> yeah, um, that sounds good. You mentioned Java and that's the other part that I have to handle. So definitely sounds like a good idea. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, there, I, we have Java people here that handle all that. I just deal with, with the front oh, side. I, okay. I say, hey, I need something. Get this for me. And they do. Well, sort of. Got it. But anyway, yeah, that's my experience. Nice. So I've been a developer for, what, 13 years, give or take. Uh, got into Ruby uh, initially. I have a degree in computer engineering from Brigham Young University. And so I did some programming there. I got into IT there. And then made the transition to support, and then eventually got my first development job. I also started podcasting about the same time. So been doing both of those things as hobbies slash professions for about 12 or 13 years. So you, you know where my passions are. Kind of got into JavaScript a little bit, uh, you know, with jQuery and things like that, and then came up, uh, did some backbone, fiddled around with Knockout, but didn't really get into it. Kind of had a passing look at Ember. Eventually, we started an Angular podcast, and uh, I was a host on that one for, what, like four years or something. And then I had a few people reach out to me about starting other shows. So we started this show, a React show, and an Elixir show at about the same time. And so that's where this one kind of came from. And I was a host on this show for a year-ish, 
and then uh, kind of handed things off to uh, the the panel at the time. And uh, yeah, things have just kind of changed and they decided they wanted to move on. So yeah, we, we pulled together a new panel and, and here we are. So yeah, um, my experience with Vue in particular is, I mean, I've done a little with it. I really want to do more with it. The episode that will go live before this, I'm actually talking about a challenge that I put together called 100 Days of Vue. And uh, I need to get a blog post up for that so that people can see it. And then I'm looking forward to seeing all of the social media posts and things like that about it. That's my attempt to learn Vue. And so I'm going to be spending a bit of time writing code in Vue and I'll probably be live streaming it. So go to twitch.tv and find the devchat.tv channel and uh, you'll probably be able to see what we're doing there. I use a tool called restream.io and so it also shows up on YouTube and uh, wherever else you get videos. So anyway, that that's kind of where I'm at. I've written functional code in Vue, but I'm by no means at the professional level. So I'm saving all my noob questions so that I can ask you guys. Since you're, you're doing 100 days of Vue, Vue is the thing that made me comfortable with JavaScript in the first place. When I was starting out with programming, I stuck primarily with PHP because it just made sense. I was able to access database. I got started with things like WordPress or PHPBB. And I was mm-hmm. terrified of JavaScript because JavaScript was always different across all the different browsers at the time. When I finally needed a single-page application, I looked at React and was terrified, looked at Vue, and it made sense. And I was able to just start going and understanding what I was supposed to be doing with JavaScript on both the front end and the back end. So it's the thing that made JavaScript make sense for me. Yeah, I found the ramp-up experience to be fairly approachable as well with Vue. Angular has quite a steep learning curve. React, you kind of get stuck in the weeds picking out what you're going to attach to it. And Vue, you can kind of pull it in, run with it for a while. And then if you decide you want to pull in something like Vuex or something else, then you can just do that. So, yeah that, yeah, that was my experience as well. I thought it was really nice. Yeah. Devlin, can you can you hear us? Can you jump on and do an intro real quick? Okay. So, guys, I'm Devlin the Duldulau. Do you guys uh, want to hear my story? or do you Yeah, do it. <laughs> okay. So, I have a six years of experience in, in development. So, yeah, I used to be a registered nurse. For five years, I was working at this uh, government hospital. And then I just realized that, you know, it's, it's hard. <laughs> the job, uh, it's, it's not easy. And, but, you know, I, I, it, it was fun. You know, it was fun. It was a, a really, uh, I would just say, like, uh, when you're trying to, to help someone, and like a, a patient, I mean, you know, it feels, uh, feels better when they, they, they like recover or something. Yeah, but during that time, I worked uh, uh, mostly in, uh, in the middle of the night. And while I'm in the middle of the night, I also try to learn this, this technical stuff in, in the web, like SEO, uh, website development, and web designing, uh, uh, WordPress. And that got me started in, in uh, this uh, software development. And then six years later, I'm doing Vue.js, uh, uh, React, Angular, uh, .NET, Java, and Node.js. So yeah, <laughs> it was like uh, it was a uh, experience, I'd say. Nice. So how did you end up on Vue then? Vue. So yeah, when when I started to uh, learn JavaScript, I was like, I'd like to try different frameworks you know i, I want to have this this overview of what's really the common between within this this framework so you know and so that whenever i'm, I'm i'll be uh, facing an, a new framework 
I know, you know, exactly what I've this experience. These are the common things that uh, you'll expect in, in a framework. So, yeah, in uh, view, my experience was I got this mobile uh, development project, mobile app project. It's a native script view from five uh, that was last year. So I had just one project and I want more. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I like view. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of directives that, you know, that you can use. You don't have to create your own function, you know, unlike in, in, in React, if you want to do something like you have to create a, a utility function, but it feels like everything's there. There are filters and, and everything literally. So, you know, you basically you just call that, you know, use that directives in your template and you get this instant result. It's like very intuitive, I would say. Nice. Yeah, I'd be interested to know more about the Vue native script stuff too. So we'll have to do an episode on that. I have another friend who does Vue with uh, Cordova. And so we might bring him on and see see how that goes as well. Yeah, my, my experience also in, in Cordova and Vijay's, I, I tried it uh, last month. Although it's like, you, you can't tell whether it, it's uh, the app was made uh, using native iOS or Android because it's the flow or the, the the look and feel of the app made from Vue.js and uh, Cordova. It's like, it's really, it's really good. It's like <laughs> native, you know, because uh, I heard a lot of things from different developers. They, they make fun of, you know, Cordova or Ionic or, you know, the, those hybrid apps. But if those kind of apps uh, generate money to these uh, enterprise uh, companies, you know, it's not a problem. I mean, why would you <laughs> say things that, you know, if uh, the app generates money and, uh, doing uh, giving business to a company, so yeah, it, it's you can't tell whether it's 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 native or hybrid. It's really it's really amazing. VJS and Cordova, it's it's like native. It's hard to tell. It's really good. It's like everything's there and say nice. So one other thing that I'm I'm curious about what what all are you all working on now using Vue? So I'm uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier when I said Lindsay, we got to talk because I'm using Next, and I've used it before for my own site. When I first created my own site, I did it as just a straight view version, and then a Next version. So I've played around with it some, and now I'm trying to. I'm working on creating a site for a nonprofit that I do some work for. They're on a, a WordPress site, and and I wanted to switch to something something a little different that I work a little more with. So I'm working on using that with a headless CMS. So I'm using one called Butter CMS. So getting that hooked up is actually pretty straightforward. But the bigger thing for me is I'm a design challenge developer. So I'm trying to work on my design chops a little more and and uh, sort of try custom developing a theme. I There's one theme I found on, I think, ThemeForest, and I was trying to integrate it. And there's so many moving pieces that I was having problems getting everything to work together. So I figured I'll just try to uh, to create from scratch and mimic that one as best I can uh, using Beautify because right now that's that's just what I work with at work and I'm most familiar with in terms of frameworks. I'm employed with um, Daimler Trucks and I am working on a tool that is currently in pilot, so I can't talk a ton about it. But it's a it's supposed to help technicians with a with a guided repair of trucks, and so we're integrating with a bunch of different APIs and putting, putting all the information in front of the technician at the right time with lots of different internal services that are at DTNA. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. And currently, I'm integrating that Nuxt application I built into that to uh, provide some more accurate data. Another small world story, Lindsay. I used to work there. 
It's a great company. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. I was there before they changed it, or right when they changed it to DTNA. Yeah, from Freightliner. Nice. Right now, I'm working on this uh, Vue.js app with Quasar framework, and we're using a capacitor to build uh, an iOS app uh, out of it and an Android app. So I love uh, Quasar. It's like magic. <laughs> it's like that, that uh, UI, uh, UI component framework gives you everything that you would need you know, in, in material design. Pills, buttons, uh, the bar, tabs, everything that you can think of. WYSIWYG, uh, everything. Like, and uh, what I like about Pulsar is when you uh, scaffold a, a project, uh, everything's uh, like best practice. You know, it's 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 uh, included out of the box where you know, you know it's very opinionated, but at least you know you're guided right off the bat on what uh, you you need to do step by step. Nice. Well, funny enough, it sounds like you know we're talking about Nuxt, we're talking about front ends, we're talking about mobile apps. Lately, what I've been playing with with Vue is Electron. So <laughs> I think we kind of <laughs> run the gamut. Yeah, I've been working on uh, an app that's going to you know, once it's done, it'll actually be something we use on the shows. And the idea is, is it'll do a local recording and then upload it to a central location. There are systems that do that already over the web, but they typically are limited to three or four people. And a lot of times on our shows, we have more than that. And so I'm looking for something else that I can run that way. And it's kind of a minimalist app. Essentially, it's going to be an app that you run on the side. So we'd still connect through Zoom or something like it, like we're doing now. But you would then run this app on the side and it would record just your recording, just your end of the conversation locally. And then when the call ends, then it would upload that, like I said, that that track. And then our editors can actually get high quality local recordings and splice those together. And then what happens is then if the bandwidth isn't great or anything like that, then the dropouts won't be in the recording. Sometimes Zoom squashes the recording. In other words, it, it compresses it aggressively so that it can fit through the bandwidth that it's dealing with. And anyway, it, so that's kind of what I'm working on there. And then I've got a couple of other apps that I want to build that I'm seriously considering pulling view into. So we'll see where we end up with those. But yeah, that's kind of the big one right now. Out of so, curiosity, are you using the um, the Vue CLI plugin to add in Electron, or are you doing it a different way? I didn't know I could do that, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I built a desktop app. It was it was going to be a game, a card mm-hmm. game, kind of like Magic the Gathering, using, oh, Vue, CLI, using Vue CLI and um, an Electron plugin for that. So I was able to do the, the views both in the browser or in the desktop as I needed. And then I hooked up a socket.io local server to to connect for LAN play. It's kind of fun. Nice. Yeah, uh, I may have to pick your brain on that. Of course, the web audio APIs are kind of what are what I'm stuck on right now. So sure. Yeah. Have you also tried uh, Quasar, Charles, to build an Electron app? I haven't. I need to check that out. <laughs> yeah, it's also easy to to build a Mac desktop and a Windows desktop app using Quasar. Huh, I'll have to look at that. That might be easier than what I'm trying to do. The only thing that I'm really, you know, like I said, I'm I'm really just stuck on the web audio APIs right now, but yeah, I'll have to I'll have to give Quasar a look. I didn't realize it did Electron. I thought it only did mobile. So Yeah, I think you can choose whichever platforms you want to target with that. 
I've only started up an application to do a hello world. I haven't done enough with it. But if I remember right, Devlin, you can correct me, but you can just choose where you want to target, right? Yep. That's right. Well, and if it gives you the UI components, I mean, the the design garbage, uh, sorry, uh, the design skills that I lack <laughs> <laughs> make something like this very, very uh, appealing to me. So, so yeah, I may seriously look at this and, and actually rethink the way that I've approached it. And I may actually build the UI first and then wire in all of the other stuff behind. Because then what I can do, I've been also been thinking about doing like a Kickstarter for it because I know that other podcasters will want it. So if I do a Kickstarter and I can show a really nice clean UI for it, then that should make things a bit easier to raise some money for it. So because you can build the UI pretty quickly, I'm guessing. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, it looks done, but it doesn't actually do anything when you click or whatever. So that seems like a good direction to take it then. Yeah. So one other thing that I'm curious about, and I tend to do this on, on new shows, but I also like doing it with new panels. Are there places that you recommend people go in order to learn Vue? Like if, if somebody is listening to this and they're going, wow, I want to learn Vue too, right? They're coming to this for the first time. Where do you send them? Uh, okay, me first. It depends on the, the financial status usually of the person. If he has the money, I would send him to, uh, let's say, uh, Udemy, Pluralsight, or what, whatever online courses that you know, he, he can, can pay to, to learn uh, Vue.js. But if he doesn't have the, the budget, he can go to uh, YouTube. And you know, uh, there's a lot of, of Vue.js uh, courses on YouTube so for free. You can start learning, and then you know, side by side with with the official docs of UJS, because you know it's one of the best uh, docs I've ever seen. So <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's true. There are courses on those platforms that definitely help out, and usually the subscriptions or the cost for the course isn't terrible. Like a Plural Site subscription, I think is like forty bucks a month or something. So we're not talking like hundreds of dollars. I know that that's still outside the price range for some folks. But, you know, for a lot of folks, if they have a little money, they can make it go a long way by picking up the Pluralsight subscription and then just running with it, right? And, and spending a lot of time learning stuff off of it. And the Udemy courses, the trick that I always use is I sign up for a Udemy account and then I wait for them to email me and say, these courses are on sale. <laughs> and, and then I go buy them. So just putting that out there. Yeah, I did the same thing. I did the, I did, uh, both of you and a next course by Max Schwartzmuller. Uh, I was going to say him too. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear yeah. his name mentioned across the board and I know Chuck's had him on my JavaScript story, I think, but he does yeah, a we've phenomenal had him on a few shows. Yeah. He does a phenomenal job of, of laying everything out and uh, you know, good examples and so on. And I picked up both every course of his, I've picked up for like 10 bucks, either 10 bucks or 15 bucks, something really cheap. And then I know he just put out one on just core JavaScript. That was announced like a week ago, and I jumped on that like like a fly on flypaper. And then I know he's got another one, new one out on Node that was a few couple months old, I think, a few months old that I've had sitting there waiting to run. So the Node was, course is awesome. Is it? Yeah, I had it there, and I'm just waiting to get to it just to to be able to learn that back end and become a little more you know full stack savvy. But like you said, Chuck, if you get him at the right time, they're really cheap. When the when the JavaScript one came out last week, it was ten bucks right off the bat. They didn't do it like, you know, 150 and then later it's 10 bucks. It was 10 bucks right away. So I don't know if they're realizing that people are going to buy it at the more expensive price and wait for it to go cheaper or not. But that's what they did right out of the gate. 
I think Max tends to do an early bird special for the people that already subscribe to things. Yeah, that's yeah, I, yeah. You could be right. I remember his his node class was the same way. It was ten bucks, and the, all the courses I picked up for him. I the first time I saw him, I, I picked it up on Black Friday, so everything was ten dollars. Uh, it was just like, hey, one one teacher has everything. I'll just grab all of these and view is the thing to do. But his stuff is all great. Yeah, I, I definitely will plus one anything from Max. I think he's got like a view course and a react course and yeah, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, he covers a wide variety of topics. Yep. Has anybody ever done view school? I haven't. So yeah, I hear about them a lot. I'm not sure what their quality is it from what I know of the people who run it. I don't see why it wouldn't be good. Yeah. There's view school and view mastery. Right. How much does free code camp do with view? I honestly don't know. I know I've picked up a few things on how to do some tricky things with binding from, I think scotch, just blog posts, though. So it wasn't any particular course or anything. Yeah, it looks like uh, Free Code Camp has a full course on Vue from Gwen that, Faraday. So that doesn't surprise me, honestly. No, me neither. I expected it. How many hours is that? How, how long the Vue course is on the Free Code Camp? Well, it says the YouTube is three a three hour watch, which, you know, depending on how long it takes you to mm. actually do everything, could be a lot longer. Usually is. I know when I first started learning, a lot of times I would, I would just like peruse YouTube and some of the different tutorials and, and hints out there. I know Eric Hanchett done a bunch and yep. Net Ninja, the British guy, I guess I think he's British. I've seen him do a number of things, pretty cool things. And there's other tutorials, you know, that are really long and involved and there's that are you know, shorter bits. It just, I guess it just depends on what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, Eric's got a ton of stuff. He also has Vue.js in action. Published right. by Manning. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Here's a question, uh... Everyone, would you recommend books to someone like learn learn uh, learn a framework or learn a programming uh, language uh, from a book? I think it depends on the person. I, you know, I know I've heard some people that you know like to have the physical book where you can look at and open pages, and I like that too. The problem with the book is that once it's printed, it's going to be outdated pretty quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe they have an ebook or uh, you know something that they'll keep updated. But yeah, that's the one problem with the book. But it just depends on your medium. I've used ebooks before where I can just put the book right next to my IDE as I keep coding. You know, some people like videos. I like a combination of things myself. If you're given like uh, uh, 10 hours of, yeah, of time to, to learn something, would it be um, uh, more uh, efficient to learn from, let's say, an article, a blog post, or from uh, a video, or from, from a book? What, what do you think? You know, you have limited time, say 10 hours or 12 hours to learn something. What would you choose? What, what kind of, you know, or which medium would you choose? 
I think for me, if it's a brand new topic, I would tend to lean towards video so I can watch somebody writing it in front of me, ideally. And if it's something that I'm already more familiar with, then I might lean more towards a blog or a long form article talking about a topic. Uh, I just feel like to yeah. get up and running, I, pr- I prefer watching somebody do it so I can do sort of a pair programming with the yeah. computer. I tend to start that way. And then once I kind of get a ways into it, then what winds up happening is, is that I'll go off on my own. So I'll find like, you know, even on Pluralsight or um, Udemy, I'll watch the first hour maybe of the course. And then I'm out stack overflowing, trying to figure out how to do something. (laughs) that's not the next thing in the course. So Mm. I'm the opposite of you, Chuck. If I get a course, I will go start to finish and get everything I can out of that course. And then like with some of Max's courses, I've got a bookmarked and I'll go, he breaks them down, you know, has a nice breakdown of the course where you can jump around. So if I can't remember how to do something, I'll go back and look at the video and, oh yeah, that's how you do that. You know, but if I'm going to go through a course, I'm one of those people I want to you know, wring every bit out of it that I can. So I'll go start to finish it. And then once it's done and I've sort of got all that down, then I'll go out and start playing with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'm more with Chuck. I go through the, the course until I realize, hey, the thing I wanted to build, I can't see any road blockers at this point. I'm just going to go and yeah. build it. And then I come back. That actually led me to missing view mixins for a couple of years because <laughs> it, it, never, it never came up. <laughs> right. It never came up. And then I got to a, to a new job and they're using Mixins. Like, oh, that's how that works. That's cool. <laughs> Wish I'd yeah. kept going in the course. Yeah, I've also been connected to enough people to where I'll get stuck and I'll ask them something and they'll be like, this is the obvious way to do it in view. And it's been part of the framework forever, right? And it's just, yeah, it's something that I never got around to. And it's, it's this fundamental piece. You know, the other thing to think of when you talk about how people like to learn is, you know, there's... One of the things I've read on just by having kids over the years is different learning styles. Yeah. You know, you get people who are visual learners, which is, I think the majority of people, I've heard numbers, you know, 80%, something like that are visual learners. I could be wrong. It's just a number I heard a long time ago. I agree. Versus, versus people who are audio learners, you know, who have to hear something for it to really sink in, you know, versus maybe a tactile learner. I have a brother who's like this, has to touch everything. I always had to touch everything, you know, because that was how he learned about things. So... My three-year-old does that. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's you know, like, like learning anything. I'm sure Chris Fritz would say the same thing with his background in teaching. Finding a way that works for the way that you learn is, in general, is what's going to, you know, help you learn something better. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. I, what I find is that a good mix helps me, right? I'm generally the watch the video, do what they did, you know, and then I'll go and try and, you know, do something different with it. So there's a little bit of visual, a little bit of trial and error. But yeah, I'll go I'll go read through a book a little bit and listen to a podcast about it and stuff like that. And so I kind of assimilate it in multiple ways, but I have a primary way of learning it. And I encourage people, because I've also coached a few people in, you know, they come to me and they're essentially like, how do you keep up on everything? And, you know, I encourage people, yeah, figure out your learning style, like everybody here has been saying. So try them all and not just try it for five minutes, but sit down and put an hour or two into trying it that Mm -hmm. way and see if you can have the breakthrough in the method of of making that work for you. Yeah, I would also suggest going to uh, crash courses. I don't know about, you know, they're uh, in your city, but in in our city, sometimes uh, a consultant would, you know, uh, schedule a crash course or hands-on bootcamp or something for 
two days or three days or one day. I would also, you know, suggest someone to, to uh, especially if you, if you don't have any experience uh, of programming, to, you know, go straight to a consultant, you know, while doing hands-on. And while doing hands-on, you can ask a bunch of questions regarding, you know, what you're doing, what is this for, or what, why, are, why are we doing this? So it'll give you the logic and the pattern and, you know, the structure of, of programming or, you know, uh, building stuff using this framework, you know. Yeah. So I'm also curious, uh, what's your method for writing the code? Do you use like TDD? Do you plan things out and then go build it? Or do you just kind of go, I want something that looks like, and then you go by the seat of your pants? Oh, uh, I have, I've tried TDD, but it, it's, I'm still not in that, that uh, level, I would, I would say. It doesn't you know, suit me or I don't feel like writing in a TDD way. So yeah, yeah, just prototyping using JavaScript or TypeScript. So, what about you guys? The TDD, what's what's your you know what's your take? What's your comment about that? You love doing it. I think I unfortunately fall into the fly by the seat of your pants category. More. <laughs> as I was starting up as a developer, it was just me, and it was just HTML. So I just write some code, make it look how I wanted, add some CSS as we went, and that that style has stuck with me still into Vue and Node and java so typically i'm going back and writing the tests but i try as best as possible to think about the tests from the beginning even if i'm not writing them not that they always appear but at least that way the the structure is more modular uh, which i think is the intent of tdd that it's more easy to test so most of the code that i write is exploratory and exploratory code i don't tdd but when I'm getting into, and, and I'm still kind of figuring out Vue, so I haven't been doing TDD there. But once I get used to how it all kind of flows together, I really do intend to figure out TDD because I really like the process that it puts me through. Which is funny because I also really, really enjoy just sitting down and seated, seated the pantsing some code. So Yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's all about you know, getting used to it, getting used to uh, something new. Because if you're not used to it, you haven't tried it most of the time. People, you know, it's it's natural for us to to uh, reject something or hate something if you know if it's we haven't tried it yet. It, it's natural. <laughs> I will say I'm a big fan of TypeScript, and I've I feel like I've almost convinced my team to try and use TypeScript in some of our view application. I've snuck in some uh, definition files here and there. That's one thing that I like to do for my development. Nice. Okay, I'm going to ask one more and then we'll do some picks. IDE or text editor of choice? So I've been using, you know, just because I was in PHP world for so long, I've been using PHP Storm, which is basically a web storm with PHP functionality added to it. And I've gotten so used to it, I really like it. Over the past couple of years, you know, I hear a lot, podcasts everywhere about VS Code. And so I've got that installed and, you know, I've been using it for different web projects. And I've sort of been slowly going back to WebStorm just because there are certain nice things that the UI has just in terms of utilities being able to find things real easily that I that are harder to set up or that I just haven't been able to figure out in VS Code. But I still I still use both of them, you know, just trying to get VS Code down. If I can figure out how to tweak it and get it the way I like, you know, like I can with PHP Storm, then I'll probably use it more. In my case, whenever I'm uh, doing uh, a presentation or, or live demo or, or live coding, I prefer a VS Code or I use uh, VS Code and Light Team in Light Team because uh, most of the time uh, that's the, the the editor that most of the audience are used to. 
So I would use that. But uh, in, uh, whenever I, you know, working on a project, I use WebStorm, you know, full-blown IDE to get that rich uh, intelligence and uh, I would say that precise auto-import. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, the drawback is you need, you know, more RAM uh, on your computer. So most of the time, a lot of uh, developers don't like uh, WebStorm because it eats up the, the memory of their computer. So, you know. I would say that you just, they just need to uh, upgrade their hardware system. But anyway, yeah, VS uh, Code for live coding of presentation and, you know, and then WebStorm on real projects or enterprise projects. I try to use VS Code for everything. I started with Notepad++, then I discovered Atom, decided Atom was awesome. And then all the courses I kept watching were using VS Code, and I decided I should be in the same editor, even if it's just minor differences at that point, just so I can have the same experience they have. So I've been in VS Code 100%, except in this current project where I'm using Java, I had to switch to IntelliJ. I couldn't get the Gradle build through the, the proxy server happily. Otherwise, I'm in VS Code for everything I'm doing. I tried to do C Sharp there, Java there, JavaScript, just anything. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Some of the apps that I'm writing are Ruby, Ruby on Rails, and then they have you know a JavaScript front-end, Angular view. I use VS Code for all of it. They just have nice plugins for pretty much everything. I will concede to Emacs. I do have the Emacs compatibility mode on there and I use the <laughs> Emacs key bindings because my brain will not let go of them. And so... <laughs> that makes sense. You know, it's, it's just a productivity hack because I, I worked a contract for like six months or so and we did pair programming in Emacs at this point. That's just kind of where I, my brain is. So muscle memory. Nice. Have you ever felt like JavaScript is just everywhere? Well, we have. We actually had a conversation on JavaScript Jabber about what you can build with JavaScript. We've also talked about what JavaScript is and how we're inspired by the language. If you're interested in JavaScript or are doing web development, then you definitely need to check out JavaScript Jabber. You can find it at javascriptjabber.com. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Now, I know Steve is an old pro at this. He's also on JavaScript Jabber, so... I'll let Steve go first, and then we'll have the rest of the panel uh, shout out some picks. Actually, I need to look up something real quick. Can you come back to me? Sure. I guess I'll do some picks then. So by the time this episode goes live, there will be a couple of things out there that I want folks to have a look at. One is my book will be out. And so you can go check it out. It's the Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. What I'm finding is, is that some of the folks that pick it up are looking for a job, right? And so it's kind of obvious that, hey, this is going to walk me through the process of finding a job. And what, what it actually does is it discourages you from sending your resume to everybody and their mother. And instead, it encourages you to go find companies that are a good fit for you. So culturally, salary, benefits, what, whatever matters to you, right? So it walks you through that whole process. And then it teaches you how to meet people from the company because it's way easier to get in if you know somebody or have even met somebody a couple of times, then it is to get in by sending your resume in and then hoping to get around to the pile of resumes they wind up with. So I, I walk you through that whole process. It goes all the way through negotiating your salary and things like that. So check it out. It'll be on Amazon by the time this goes live. It'll be the Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Another pick I have, uh, I was looking at Patreon and I've never really loved the way Patreon does things. Anyway, some some other crap has gone down, and I was looking for a way to, you know, I had people like, hey, how can I support DevChat.tv and you know, drop some money your way? 
And I found another one. It's called buymeacoffee.com. And if you go to devchat.tv, by the time this goes live, there will definitely be a link in there that you know you can just look in the sidebar or it might pop up at you. I don't know. I'm, I'm still figuring out how I want to do that. But it'll be a button there where you can just donate. You can donate monthly or you can donate once. If you throw some money at us, that would be appreciated. And uh, yeah, so those are the two picks. And then I'm going to do uh, two more quick shout outs that are not sort of focused around devchat.tv. So both of these are movies. I'm going to pick some Christmas movies over the next few weeks. I'm going to do this on JavaScript Jabber too. So if you if you get crossover, I'm sorry. But these two movies both have James Stewart or Jimmy Stewart as an actor in them. They're both Christmas movies. One is about 40 years older than the other. And the first one is one that you all have probably heard of if you've watched Christmas movies. By the way, uh, the Christmas movies I'm going to pick are not going to be very recent. I think the most recent one's probably going to be from the 80s. But the first one is is uh, quite old. It's It's a Wonderful Life. It's one of my favorites. It's something that we watch with my dad every year. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of got that sentimental value to it. But it's just a great show. Uh, the other one that I have also features Jimmy Stewart. And it is Mr. Kruger's Christmas. It's about this older custodian who, you know, uh, of this building. And anyway, they're, they're Christmas carolers. And he kind of has these daydreams. And it, it kind of walks you through what Christmas means to him. And it also at least to me, made me realize that there are people who are lonely or sad or, you know, have, have other things going on in their lives and, and just how fortunate I am. And that in a lot of cases, all you really have to do is reach out to somebody. That's what Christmas is really about. It's about taking care of each other. So really love both of those movies. So go check them out. Steve. Okay. So I got one pick today and it's called The Death Nut Challenge. And it's uh, actually something that we are doing here in my office this afternoon. Uh, I wasn't here last year. I haven't done it yet. But basically, it's a special box that you buy. And it has like five super hot, spicy types of nuts. And it seems like it's a competition to see who can actually get through and eat all of them. So I'm trying, and it's sort of funny considering that I generally have sort of a wimpy mouth when it comes to eating hot things. Uh, but I'm going to give it a shot. And if I can talk next week, then I'll give a report on how it went. <laughs> nice. Now I want to try it. Lindsay, do you have some picks for us? I have one. It is a VS Code extension. And it, looking at it right now, it's called VS Code Dashboard by Krummelcats. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. The idea is it gives you a GUI interface so you can go between your different projects. You can have different categories. So I have one right now called CareQuest. It's just a, a app that I'm building for my wife. And I've got a server and a web component. I can see both of those. I can click on them to get to the directory, or I can just open it up. And you can just access this thing with Control F1 inside of VS Code and see all of your different projects in a super easy way. I'm a big fan of that one. Ooh, I like. Yeah, I may have to check that one out. VS Code Dashboard. VS nice. Code Dashboard. Devlin, do you have some picks for us? Yes, uh, I do have... Have you seen this uh, natural selection on, on Netflix? That's my pick. It's 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 a uh, it's like a four part of uh, this uh, season. I don't know the season or single single series, but anyway, it's a controversial uh, thing because it's about you know a gene uh, gene editing, and it's uh, like government, and then there's a uh, 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 scientists and re- uh, you know researchers who are pushing the this you know, 
gene editing thing, whether or whether to move forward or what do we do we need to do in the future? Because you know the, we, the technology of, of editing our, our species is you know already out there. I mean, but we, we don't have the you know the laws of how to regulate it. So it's very controversial thing uh, whether to use it or not because there are you know pros and cons and there's things that it's a one way uh, thing that you cannot you know reverse it back. You know, adding adding features in our in our uh, in our genes as human, no. So it's a, a really good uh, documentary that uh, you know, very interesting. I would uh, recommend you uh, seeing that. Yeah, it's a natural selection on Netflix. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's about all we got. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap this show up. Thanks everybody for coming. Thank you, uh, Charles. Uh, nice uh, meeting you, Steve and uh, Lindsay. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Jared. Thank All you. right. You Until yeah. next time, max out. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>